What up, my let's keep it real people? Have you done anything to kick off the summer? Any first? You know how much I love first. Well, for the first time, I drove down with my son 10 hours straight to Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina for my husband's family's family reunion. Woo-hoo! Now, it wasn't like I really loved that long of a drive, although I got to bond with my son. My husband drove his mom because we needed both cars down there. But once I got there, it was amazing. I met so many people that I would never have ever met and got to know them. And they're so different and so much fun. And it was set up that we did all these water activities. So even though I wasn't looking forward to the drive, it was well worth it. What about you? Is there something you've been wanting to do, but you're not sure if you want to take the drive, the flight? And what I do, I always think about why I want to do it and what it's going to be like when I get there. And that's how I get through. So that's what I've been up to. I would love to hear what you've been up to, but not right now because I got to introduce you to one of my favorite people in the world. And I say that because I only met him in the last year but fell in love with them. Did you ever do that? You meet people and you instantly know you're going to be friends forever? Well, that's this guy, Hunter. Hunter Gatewood. Before I introduce you to him, let me tell you a little bit about Hunter. Hunter teaches individuals and teams how to build their dream team through tactical moves and healthy work relationships. His course, The Six Cultural Builders for Team Leaders, is the shortest and the most encouraging leadership program out there for people who lead from the middle of their organization. His experience includes work as a social worker in coaching change management and process improvement for 200 plus work teams. I know you're going to want to share this, like it, rate it, and as always, we are so appreciative. So without further ado, here's Hunter. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life. And as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Okay, my let's keep it real people. I know I was overly excited because Hunter's my buddy, my pal, and I'm so excited to have him on. I've been bending your ear and thank you, thank you, thank you for sending me all your questions because we have a special surprise coming up. Hunter, how are you? I'm doing really well. I've been looking forward to this for sure. This is my first podcast interview. Did you know that? It's the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Oh my God, wait, let's ring the bell. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> I love, I love first. I make a big deal out of anything that's first. This is awesome. Yeah, I've you been in. who else? So I've been hey. in, I've been in play for two other podcasts and those people keep rescheduling. So oh. <laughs> That's this was going to be, this was going to be my third, but now we get to do it. We get to Woo-hoo! do my first together. Yeah. And I was just telling you, and Sinead also from our HPS group, it was her first. I the love fabulous her. Sinead Andrews. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. So Hunter and I met, yes, I've been bending your ear about HPS grad and we both graduated. So we got to hang out in Lambertville 
a lot of times, but he was flying all the way in from California and I'm just coming an hour away, but he wasn't able to come the last time. It was very sad. The big reunion show, the big uh, reunion event for all the people that have come through that amazing course over the years. Yes, I had to skip it because airfare adds up. <laughs> and you, we, we do our done for you video and mine is in July and his in June. So you're going to be back here soon. Maybe I'll come up and sneak to see you. You I'm should crash. You should crash. Yeah, be, be an audience member. That would be great. All right. Well, we could catch up about a lot of things, but what's your word? The word for the past 30 days describes what you've been going through, how you feel. What's your word and why, Hunter? Oh, that's a good one. I think groove. Groove? Groove Wait is a, a good word. I've been doing <laughs> this for years. I have had no groove. So tell us why groove. Are you groovy? Are you a groovy guy? Groovy? I, I would like to think so. Um, I'd like <laughs> to think I'm a groovy guy. You probably may have, an, may have an opinion about that. I don't know if I want to call myself groovy, but I would, I would aspire to that. When I think about groove for where I am in my work, where I am in my life, where, where I am in my journey, I'm thinking about settling in to a groove. As you know, the work with the heroic public speaking course, the grad course, which is how we know each other. That for me has been part of a, a new learning curve, a new S curve in my career. And it has been up until, yeah, up until about a month ago, it was doing the course, doing the work. What's my assignment? Mm. What do I want to say to the world? What do I want to put into my speech? How can I be a more compelling public speaker be organized, be confident. So it's been this really amazing learning journey. And now I've reached the point where it feels like that has, the learning journey is settling into the, I guess the being or accepting yeah. that, yeah. accepting that growth that I've given myself yeah. and the challenge of that and trying to settle into the groove of being a better public speaker, having a speech that I'm trying to share with different audiences yeah. all around the world. Um, and so it's, it's basically accepting the, the level that I've reached. I'm nowhere near where I need to be um, with, with this work, but, but I've settled into, I found a new level and I'm yeah. trying to, and I'm trying to accept that and appreciate that as I then set my next steps. I'm very good at I think you are very good at this. All your listeners are high achievers. They're good at focusing on what do I want to do next? What's next? What's next? Yeah. And not appreciating, not looking back over their shoulder at how far they've come and not appreciating these levels as we reach them. So I'm trying to settle yeah. into the groove and identify as this new type of uh, person with a new type of offering. Yeah. You know, Hunter, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because so many of us, and a lot of my listeners, you're right. We are high achievers, but it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And until we really feel we've arrived, we don't enjoy how far we came. And to graduate that course is a big deal and put yourself out there and take risks and face your fears. And I think no matter what anybody is doing out there, whatever it is, whether it's a speaking course or you want to get up at an open mic to put yourself out there for things that you really want to do and face your fears is so important, but celebrate where you are now. I have a friend 
she's been taking guitar lessons and music lessons. And she's like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm like, uh, what year are you going to be ready to do an open mic? You could keep putting it off and putting it off. And at some point you have to get out there. So for you, have you, do you have a date of like, okay, Sandy, I'm going to be ready to do my first keynote this date. Or do you think you're ready right now? I, I can be ready. That is one of my next, my next moves is to offer the keynote, the actual speech as it is the complete speech that I worked on so hard. You helped, you know, you and I did sessions together. We helped each other with our speeches. So you know it about as well as anyone. I could be ready. I, I will be ready once I book, once I book it. And my next task is to get more, do like a lunch and learn, offer free for some free the speech for free to a few audiences yeah. just to get that practice, to get the word out, to see how people respond. I've, I've been doing the speech in bits and pieces. I've had some pieces of the speech that I've done for years in my leadership teaching and coaching. And I have my own course that we'll talk about that I do. So pieces of it have lived in other places. And now that I have the, and now some of the new pieces that I wrote for the speech, I'm peppering those into the other things I'm doing. But in terms of delivering the speech as a package, I need to, um, my next step is to offer that to a small group, perhaps to groups that know me, mm-hmm. you know, you want to do it in a safer way, perhaps it's not quite yeah. as risky. Um, and for me, um, not requiring people to pay for it <laughs> is, is a way to do it in a low risk way that feels safe. I got it for free. <laughs> right. And also, and also generous because, you know, your, your speech has really important, powerful, helpful, transformative ideas in it. I think mine does as well because I've worked on it for six months. So it's, it's a, it's an offering. It's a wonderful offering, whether I'm getting paid or not. It, it's, it's all about helping people. Um, so that's, that's my next step with the speech. Good. I'm glad to hear. And it is great. And I could say that because I heard it a number of times. All right. We're going to have to go right into it because it fits this. This is the first time ever we've done this on Let's Keep It Real from Hunter himself. So he said it, not me. Stomp the chump. Woo! Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> okay. Mr. Stump the Chump, which I love that. Again, Hunter does this in his groups. I'm not calling him a chump. We got a big one here. We'll call him Billy Bob. Fake names. And I'm going to start with it. Okay. He says, Mr. Hunter, building trust. Well, this is what my boss does. We go to all these retreats. We have fun. We bond. We even do that fallback thing where they catch us. You know what it is? Trust falls. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic. But. I don't think he has the idea of it. We do all that. Then we come back and the guy micromanages everything to the point where I don't feel comfortable going into work. He's literally over my shoulder. What can I do? Okay. I love this because, <laughs> well, for one for one thing, I, I did a lot of backpacking and hiking and mountain climbing kind of stuff when I was in college in North Carolina. I'm from the South. And so I, I actually worked on a ropes course, which is where you climb up in the tree and do the little zip line, or you do, you know, the, the web, there's like a web bridge kind of a thing. Yeah, and so oh, it's all yeah. about taking risks. Yeah. So that's a classic field. I think of those as like a field day. It's a field day yeah. for the work. Yeah. You go out, you have fun, you do trust. Maybe you do. I didn't know people still did trust falls in the 21st century, but I used to do this at, at camp when I was a kid, but I agree with your, with the chump stumper here that those 
I like those kinds of events just for fun, but those do not actually build trust in the team as they're sold. Sorry to everybody who runs a zipline course or a <laughs> ropes course, but it'll, it'll, it, it's good. It's, it's good. It's important to have fun as a group. It's important to learn more about your colleagues, but that's not the way to build trust. And like your writer, like your listener, your writer is saying, Billy Bob has exactly the right point. Trust has to happen day to day in the workplace. So, um, and a little bit more about trust, and then I'll actually formulate an answer. Trust is a decision based on an emotional feeling about an individual person like Billy Bob and his boss or a situation. And so it's up to each of us to decide, do I trust Sandy? Do I trust my boss? Do I trust an employee that I supervise? And the reason that's important is because we can't make someone trust us. Billy Bob can't make his boss Mm. trust him. What Billy Bob can do and what we want our bosses to do for the whole team, what I talk about in my course is we want to be trustworthy and create the conditions for trust so that people will trust us. And there's a lot, and that's a big one. There's a lot of ways to unpack that, but just try to get to Billy Bob's question and then we can go further, you know, with with the trust issue, because that is really what I'm, that's what my speech is about. That's what a safe, a safe, trusting, inclusive culture at work is really all based on trust. For Billy Bob, what I would do is I would, I would have a, I would, I mean, he just needs to talk to his boss. And what I would say is, I, I'm glad we're, I'm glad you're thinking about trust because the boss, you can yeah. make that generous assumption of the boss. Hey, you're taking us off site. So you're giving us that you're investing a lot of money and time if the whole team yeah. goes, goes off site to do something. Those things, those, those events are fun. I have a good time with my colleagues. It's nice to get away from our desks. I appreciate all that. And I know from that, that you are focusing on trust. Here's what trust would feel like to me. To me, trust in the workplace would feel like space. I am giving space to do my work in my own way. Let me know what you need. Billy Bob could say something like, let me know what you need to allow me to work a little bit more independently. What do you need to know? What do I, do you need to see different metrics? Do you want me to email you every day? Depending on, I don't know what, what kind of work they're in. Um, but some people are delivering, you know, they have productivity metrics, activity reports they can generate every day for others of us, maybe once a week or once a month makes more sense based on how big their projects are, how many customers or clients they're interacting with in a day. So what do you need to know from me to make you feel comfortable to allow me to work more independently? Oh, I love that. Another thing that I recommend, and this is from my background working in healthcare process improvement is to do things as a test. Hey boss, could we try out could we try me working more independently in this way for a week and see how it goes? See if you're comfortable. See if I'm comfortable. See, did I miss you? Did I need something from you? I didn't get. And then maybe try it again the next week. And that way the boss can, you know, assuming Billy Bob really is in charge of Billy Bob's domain at work, then everything will have gone great. The boss is like, wait a second. I actually saved some time because I wasn't looking over your shoulder. I wasn't having to come by your desk or chat you on Slack every 10 minutes. Um, So maybe there could be (laughs) benefits on both sides to that experiment or, but if the boss just was anxious and couldn't quite, you know, let go of that micromanaging uh, impulse, 
then then the boss could say that at the end of the week. The, okay, the experiment went okay, but I still wondered day to day. So this is about this is about habits and uh, habits of communication. It's part of what this is about for these yeah. two people. Yeah. So I want to back up then, and let's talk about now the course you do teach because I would think it would be a lot easier to have these conversations after taking your course because now everybody is aware of what it means to have that kind of team. So you talk about your six culture builders for team leaders and that you have the shortest, but the most encouraging leadership course. Why is that? I'm going to keep saying it's the shortest until somebody tells me, (laughs) until somebody (laughs) tells me I'm wrong and makes me stop. But yeah, I think so. One reason that it's short, um, the, the short thing is in part because this is one of the few leadership training programs that is targeted specifically to people in the middle of the organization. The middle managers, the directors, the VPs, sometimes the supervisors, the people. And it's short because the, there are a lot more of those people. One of the reasons those people don't usually get a formal leadership development sort of training or course or coaching is because most leadership courses out there last for a year or, or even more. And so they're, and they're very in-depth, usually can't spend a lot of money um, beyond the C-suite or beyond the senior, mm-hmm. the most, the senior levels of the organization, the top levels. So, um, so that's the middle managers. Those are the people I'm most comfortable with. Those are the, that's the experience I have, you know, gotcha. for, in terms of <laughs> let's keep it real. I've never yeah. been a CEO. I haven't. I'm the, I'm yeah. the owner and the boss of my own company um, here, Signal Key, that I do the training and the coaching and the speaking through. And I've done that for nine years and it's great. My team is five people at its max when I'm doing lots of different projects. So I've never been a CEO. Yeah. So I'm most comfortable with, from my own experience and from the people that I've worked with the most in my work in healthcare coaching and improvement and innovation with people in the middle. And they're the, and that's the gap I saw. So it's short because that makes it cheaper, honestly, for one reason. And also um, because I don't think it takes, it doesn't take a whole year to help people make some really important shifts in their mindset and their habits mm. of leadership. One thing a lot of other leadership programs have that I avoided very carefully is people don't have to learn a whole new language to take my course. I use real simple words. You know, I'm a social, I'm a social worker and a natural born teacher. And so I'm used to working with people of lots of different education levels, lots of different backgrounds. They're all smart. They're all effective. Um, But I think it takes time to learn and settle into fancy language, academic language, or yeah, specific, yeah. specific, meta- crazy. specific, exactly crazy. specific metaphors, even that only exist in one branded packaged yeah. leadership yeah. curriculum or corporate training program. So I keep the language simple. I keep it. It's eight weeks. The courses, the can, the, oh. the public course is eight weeks long. Um, and so that's why I call it the shortest. And in terms of encouraging, I started my first session. The first round of this was in fall of 2020. So I knew, and I'd been working on the curriculum and, you know, and and putting it into my other work, consulting work in different ways. Um, But I really launched the course as it is, as the six culture builders for team leaders in fall of 2020. So I knew that a lot of what I was wanted to achieve for the people that did that pilot round was to help them with just survival resilience. Because again, most of my, most of my work is in healthcare. So the healthcare heroes, 
the first fall of the pandemic, they needed to, they just, they needed a lot of encouragement. They needed to trust in their own resilience. They needed to learn how to avoid burnout. They needed to learn a little bit about mindfulness and taking care of themselves. And of course, every iteration, I've done the course four times now, the eight week course, fall, spring, fall, spring, fall, spring. And every time I'm like, okay, well, I can maybe dial back some of that resilience and addressing burnout content for this next round. Cause of course the pandemic will have led up by then. Well, of course it has, it's still not over. So that, that work has stayed, that work has stayed in there and it, and it will stay in there, honestly, because middle yeah. managers are the ones who are most likely to be, to be martyrs, the workplace yeah. martyrs to do everything because they're managing up, down and sideways. So I want to get into the six cultural builders for team leaders, but before we do that, Let's go back to Stump the Chump question, which is they wanted to know from you, what were these managers' biggest concerns? Like, was there a number one concern that you saw throughout these last few years with them? I think burnout is the, that's the easy answer. And I think that is the, that is the, the main oh, answer. Really? We're wondered about their own burnout. Um, burnout, another one was helping, burnout for themselves and also helping their team not burn out. Because we're in the middle of the 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 great the great work shuffle, the great job shuffle. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to call it the great resignation because people aren't just quitting and sitting at home. People, well, I guess some are, but people are quitting <laughs> and taking other jobs, right? Yes, so think yes, of it yes. more as a shuffle. It's not that everybody got lazy all of a sudden or didn't have to pay their bills. It's that people are taking this opportunity to find something that's a better fit, lets them work from home more, yeah. or just something fresh and new to shake off maybe some of the some of the damage and the stress of the pandemic. So um, with that, it's so it's burnout, but not just for the individual manager, also for their team. How can they yeah. help their team? Ooh. I like that they're thinking about their team. All right. What is, can you just a little bit go over the six cultural builders? Yes. And for, um, since you and I are doing this on video, I'll read through them, but I'll, I'll put this in front of my face here on the video so people can see. I use these little doodles. These are my doodles I use. Okay, can we hold up right there? Just hold that right there. If you can't see it, don't worry. He's going to review it. But Hunter is known for these amazing doodles to express so easily the thought he has, you know, the theory. I love that. You have them for everything, don't you? Yes, I, I have one for each of my blogs. I use them when I do build worksheets for people. It's that whole uh, picture is worth a thousand words thing. Oh my gosh. And that really helps. Yeah, helps. It just, again, it helps. It helps our memory and it helps me with not having to come up with my own lexicon, my own language for everything I teach. Um, and it, yeah, it helps, it helps people remember what we're doing. Yeah. And I started it back when, before the pandemic, I started it with my teaching and instruction on different aspects of leadership and process redesign and innovation thinking, those kinds of trainings that I've, that I've done for years, I realized probably about eight years ago, I realized I hate PowerPoint. I don't like doing it whenever I was starting for a presentation. I just, it's just fiddly. It's, you know, work. It's just, it's just, I can't believe you said that. I hate it so much. And I I realized, and I realized most other people either hate it as well or, at the very least, they they need a break from it. So when I was presenting at conferences, people will have been sitting, looking at PowerPoint all day for the other speakers. God bless. Not trying to criticize people who use PowerPoint, but it was good to give people a break. And so I was yeah, I would go to the, 
I would go to the wall to a big piece of paper and just use my markers and do these little stick figure doodles and arrows, you know, all the, the different, the simple drawings. So I would go in with the drawing for everything I was doing. Um, and then that translated during the pandemic. I just have a little app on an iPad and I can, I can do it on the iPad as well. But yeah, people like it and it, it gives them a break yeah. from PowerPoint and I don't have to use PowerPoint. It's much more fun to sit there and, and doodle, right. To draw with colored markers or, you know, and an you don't have pen. to be a great artist. No, no, you don't. That's the thing. You just have to, you have to, and yeah, if you, if my website, I do one for every blog and just on my, the blogs, you can see how my doodles have evolved. It's so much cleaner, tighter. I use a more refined color palette. I realized that using every color in the rainbow actually makes it kind of look cheap and silly and it's confusing visually. So anyway, my doodling has gotten better over the years as I do it, but it's still not, I'm still not nowhere near any thing anyone would call a professional artist. That's not the point. Um, So yeah, thank you. So what if I just list the six culture builders? I would love that. Okay, I'll list those and then we can go into depth on any of them. Um, So number one, and they are one through six, they do build, each builds on the other. So you need to start with number one to make sense of and get the most out of number two. Okay. Um, So even though number five, navigate conflict, that's the one everybody wants to rush to. We build, it's number five for a reason. So number one is be humble and curious. And this is about the fact that perfection is impossible. We, we alluded to perfectionism a few minutes ago. Being perfect is impossible. And it is therefore, it is not the boss's job to have all the answers. She may need Which to is make- hard. She may need to make most of the decisions, but it's not her job to have all the answers. It's very hard. (laughs) It's very hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, well, a lot of the leaders I work with in healthcare are women. Oh, are they? Physicians, nurses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you don't, it's, uh, and that's one thing, that's a real breakthrough for a lot of people. When we get, again, we start with this one first. That's number one, be humble and curious. When we start with that, and I tell people, it's not your job as the boss to have all the answers. These middle managers there's just this wave of relief that goes throughout the Zoom room or the in-person session where people who had thought that it really was their job to have an answer for every single thing when their staff Mm -hmm. asks them or when their boss says what's going on or what are we going to do? There's just this wave of relief when they hear that and then accept it. And that's part of what people do in the course is they accept why it's not their job to have all the answers. And we go into complexity when a situation is complex that that is a situation where there's no way to have all the answers yeah. right now today in the meeting. We can't know what's going to happen. We can't predict all mm. the, all, you know, there's no recipe for the classic example of complexity is raising a child. There's a million books about raising kids, but there's no one book, no one recipe that's going to work for every single kid. So <laughs> as so, right. So I'm not a parent, but you're a parent and you're yeah. Cole's doing great. Um, very <laughs> exciting going off to college. Very exciting moment for, for the, for the Sandy household. Um, but there's, there's no one recipe. So if there's no one recipe, then nobody can have the perfect answer. And then, and then that leads into culture builder two, which is create trust and safety. So number two is create trust and safety. Okay. So you have to, you have to trust the members of the team to figure it out as they go. You have to take that leap of faith and just start moving. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really need trust. So number two is trust and safety. Number three is lead for purpose and goals. And that's where I've got my little 
doodle of people approaching a mountain. You know, they're going to hike that mountain. But purpose and goals is why are we here? What are we doing? What's our what's our purpose in the world as a team? What are we trying to achieve? Um, number four is develop others for growth and learning. So if you are a team leader, it is your job to help other people grow by making them uncomfortable with the status quo, helping them do new things, helping them helping them be comfortable being a learner and at work. Mm. And I've got I've got a story about that later if we want to get to it. But we want to make sh- we need to make learning and growth. And with that imperfection, right? If we're perfect, we don't have to learn anything, but we aren't perfect. The work is always evolving. So we need to grow and learn together. And the team leader's job again is to help other people do that, make that part of the life in the team. Number five, like I said, is navigate conflict. And number six is promote health and fun. So that's your ropes course retreat, your trust yeah, falls, yeah, yeah. perhaps that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff. Again, it's one that piece. <laughs> right, right. Or we talk about mindfulness, that that pause that you need to take during the day, deep breaths, how you focus on your own health, take the afternoon off if you're feeling burned out mm. so that you can come back and take care of yourself and your team. You know, Hunter, I'm not just saying this, but I think everybody could benefit from going through a course like this, because even if some of them you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that I know that I'm thinking, you know, I had a pretty large team and some of these I, I might've needed reminders on, you know? Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the risk. The, the fact that everybody knows this stuff, like that reaction for people, that's the risk that I took when I decided not to give it its own special language and like have people come in thinking they didn't know the stuff, right? Yeah. Because that's most courses, again, they have their own, their own language, their own catchphrases they use. And so you come in thinking, okay, this is all fresh and new. And what I wanted to do with this course was say, no, everybody, we've all heard this a million times. Yeah. We know the basics, but the things, so thank you for saying that. And I agree. It's good for anybody because we do, there's, there's a action homework between in the eight week course, or if I do it over a longer period of time with people in coaching, there are worksheets and action homework and experiments, little tests of these ideas, ways to implement these ideas that I ask people to test every week with their team and then come back and talk about in the course. So in the course, it's, it's because, and and in that, that format, it's, it's almost a perfect flipped classroom format. If people know what that is, Mm. it's something that um, Khan Academy is famous for doing in K through 12 education, but it's where the, the, um, the the live sessions are not me preaching and talking the whole time. We are yeah, yeah. interacting and everybody, it's the all teach, all learn kind of modality. So, so people, you know, you're right. People have heard all this stuff before. Most people have, but stitching them all together and actually having people practice yeah. is a way for people to feel these ideas and then feel what it's like to act on them in specific activities themselves and also with their team. So that they, so that they can actually see what it feels like. And and hopefully this stuff, and it does people, I stay in touch with people. I send emails after the course and and I'm coaching some of the people that have been in the course. And this really does help them hold on to some of these, these big ideas that everybody knows. And you know what? (laughs) We talk about that a lot, (laughs) you know, that the things that are seem so obvious. Yeah, yeah, I know that I know that, but it doesn't mean you're putting into practice. And also, which I think this is great, you may not even be conscious that you're not doing it. 
So unless you do the exercise and it's really brought to your conscious level, you might be looking at this going, yeah, yeah, lead with purpose, but not, you know, and be humble, but really not. But it's hard to admit that to yourself. And it's also hard to admit that you have, you know, oh, I'm a know-it-all. And, but when you have this course, you actually give them permission to go, okay, let's break it down. Let's see which areas. To me, I'm thinking, which areas are my strength and which areas do I need to work on? And that's what you're allowing people to do. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And then also they, they can help create those conditions in their team for other people. Yeah. Because what we want is everybody, you know, we want the, bo- the boss, of course, or the manager or the team leader. Uh, the course isn't just for people who are bosses or supervisors, by the way, it's people who lead complex projects. So yeah. they're not the boss, which makes it, there, there are new, there are special challenges to that when you are in charge of work getting done by multiple people, perhaps across different departments in the organization, and you're still nobody's boss. Like they may have the hardest role. So Ooh, I, I like working you. with those folks Ooh. too. So it's not just for bosses. That's but yeah, tough. the whole, it, it is tough. And back, can I, back to, you mentioned the know-it-all, um, the, which gets, again, that foundational uh, culture builder, number one, be humble and curious. Um, I always identify as a recovering know-it-all. Um, I mentioned that in my speech, yeah, I know. As, you know, because the speech is I about building that. trust in the teams and people really identify with that. And one thing I'll say about that, that is important to acknowledge, especially as we focus on diversity and inclusion in teams is it's easier for some people to be imperfect and be safe politically in terms of the interpersonal relationships and the power dynamics in an organization. Mm-hmm. It's easier for some of us to be humble and curious and just say, I don't know, don't practice, you know, accepting, not having all the answers and being comfortable with that. It's a lot easier for some people than others. And the people that it's less comfortable for where it's more of a risk are people who are not middle-aged straight or, you know, middle-aged straight white males. Yeah. I'm, I'm three of those things. I'm not, I'm not that I'm not, <laughs> there's one of them. I'm not, I'm gay. And so in, for, for gay people, there is a, for gay men, especially there's the, oh, two out of three. <laughs> there's the cliche. Yeah. So, it, so again, it's easier for me to be humble because I've reached a certain point in my career. Like I've got credibility. I have experience. People mm. respect me for different things I've done over the years. And so that's easier. It's so it's easier for me to say, I don't know, let's figure it out than it is for somebody who's brand new in their leadership work. For example, gotcha. it's easier for men than women. It's easier for white people than people of color. Gotcha. Who who don't, who feel like they aren't welcome or feel like they don't deserve to be there. It's, it's a different thing to ask those people to not be a know-it-all or not feel like they have to be perfect mm, all the time. I we gotcha. all want to be able to drop that defensive wall that there's so much energy we put into looking perfect, being perfect, always having the answer, always saying the right thing. So ideally for health, for stamina and the work, we will all want to be able to drop our, drop that wall and stop pretending to be perfect because we know it's, impossible, but it's harder for some people than others. And so that's one thing we, we, we dig into that in the course. I'm glad you said it. Cause I didn't even think of that. You know, I didn't think of it like that, you know, that it's easier for some, like you forget about that. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, a African-American woman who's a great leader, great manager in my course. I think it was the session last fall. And she said, this is really hard for me because I was trained. My mother, my grandmother, my whole family trained me. When you go into the work world, you need to, you know, always look amazing. You have to be perfectly groomed. You have to have your face on. You've got to, you know, fix your hair. Your hair has to be a certain way. 
it can't be the full range of black. There's this whole thing about black hair. It can't be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be this narrow range of acceptable black hair because you're going into the world of work as the white is a white world. Oh my. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And so we we had a really good conversation about that in the course, and it was really it was it was emotional. It was really transformative for me to hear yeah. her talk about that. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you forgot. Like I didn't even think of it that her cultural she was taught that's what she had to do. Right. Right to be seen as a good worker and yeah. to be given trust and to be given responsibility and to advance in your career, you have to look and act a very certain way. Hunter, you have to let me do this. I'm going to bend down for one second. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You can disappear. That's fine. Ah, I'm going to, this was just sent to me today and I normally don't read this kind of stuff, but it, a shout out to my friend, Mary, <laughs> you ready for this? You, you got to hear it. A real woman always keeps her house clean and organized. She's always well-dressed and her hair done. She behaves gracefully in all situations and circumstances. And no matter what, she never swears. She has more than enough patience to take care of her family and work, always has a smile on her lips for everyone around her and a kind word. Share this if you too have just realized that you might be a man. Is that who? Because that's, there's that's a lot funny. of times how you right. feel. Right, right. Especially in the workforce. And again, know? yeah, it's that perfectionism, that veneer of perfectionism. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's really damaging. It's bad for all of us. I mean, it's not funny, but I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm a man. Like, it was just funny to think. <laughs> right, and we can see how that, and that veneer of perfectionism that we're all, however we try to hold that up to the yeah. world, it, it doesn't support, it, it wears us out. It's exhausting. And also it undermines trust because at yeah. some level we're, we're faking it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to back up because you said you had a story for us about learning and growth. Yes. And I want to hear let your me story what, about. <laughs> let me remember what, what story that was. Um, oh, oh yeah. Is it the one I, with the stick comes outside? Cause I love that story. The stick no, that I, remember the office, the person put the little stickums and no oh, one was, I think yeah. I think this this might be so let me tell you the story and then we can I can t- I have I have lots of stories. You know that I'm I'm a storyteller. Yeah. There's all every, every session of my course, or if I'm teaching like a one-day session for a group, I always have story time. People like people. And like I stories. love it because I learn yeah. more that way. Right. So my so yeah, learning and growth. So when I, my first middle management job was in a large healthcare organization in San Francisco. Um, and I had a team of, I think it was 10 people when I started, it grew to about 15 when I left. And I, we were working on process redesign and performance metrics, KPIs, that kind of stuff for healthcare. Like how many adults in all of the health centers we worked with in San Francisco, how many adults with diabetes had their blood sugar at the right level or, and had their blood sugar. Sh- sugar check twice a year. How, you know, how was, yeah. how many, how many women had their mammograms, you know, at the right frequency and how, how, how do we chase people to get their mammograms or their pap smear or whatever? So it was all these, there's a lot of metrics, right? There's a lot of stuff to measure in healthcare. Yeah. And my team was all about that measurement and teaching doctors and nurses how to measure and how to keep track of it all. So that was a lot of our work. So as part of the boss of the team helping people, I said, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to make it personal and make it just interesting for people. I'm going to put my own personal metrics on the door of my office. And so my metrics were things like, my metrics were things like, I'm going to run, I'm going to go jogging three times, three times a week. 
That was one of my metrics. Yeah. Um, and then one of my metrics was I'm going to, and I had a couple were about work. One was, I'm not going to hold a meeting with anybody on my team if I haven't sent them the agenda 24 hours ahead of time. That's just good meeting, meeting hygiene, meeting practice. So a few things like that. And, you know, I'm going to do, there are about four metrics. And so that was just a way to show what improvement looked like. And I I made little charts and graphs and showed them what a time plot, it's called a run chart. It was all, I was getting all into the the techie nerdy stuff about metrics and measurement and using data, using data to make decisions. What happened so people may have learned some about that. <laughs> they may have learned some of what I intended. What really happened day to day, though, was everybody was seeing a boss who had a fairly you know, sizable team who was not holding himself out as being perfect and having all the answers and having achieved everything that a boss that a boss could or should achieve, right? That yeah. I wasn't, pre- because just by saying I'm measuring myself, I have goals, I want to learn, I want to get better. Just by saying that you're admitting your, your imperfection you're ad- and you're identifying as a learner and as someone who has growth to do and is, and is not ashamed of that, um, actually wants to show that to the world. So that's what I showed my team, which created a lot more comfort for them. So when we talked about, performance goals, growth goals, learning goals to help them do their jobs better. They were much more comfortable talking about that with me because I, it wasn't like, oh, Hunter's the boss and he's just kind of, you know, lording over us, micromanaging like Billy Bob's boss or whatever. Yeah. Um, I was imperfect too. I, I also had growth to do. So it wasn't me just pushing, pushing, pushing. We were all learning together and progressing. And so I would have people stick their head in my door and say, hey, have you been jogging three times yet this week? And I would look up from, you know, emailing or whatever yeah, I was yeah. doing at my desk and say, no, no, just two, but I'm going again, you know, I'm going to go this afternoon. And honestly, some of the people are, who are you? Cause there <laughs> were people from across the whole organization. I didn't even know them, yeah. And they, but the, the, they were just like super digging me, you know, my team we had, whenever we had a position open on my team, people knew me, they wanted to work with me and wanted to work with my team because we had this vibe because we had this learning and happy imperfection kind of thing going on in our team. But yeah, I was getting people from all over the organization were asking me about jogging. And there were a couple of days I was like, I should take, I'm tired of talking about my fitness <laughs> goals. I need to, I'm feeling lazy this week. It's raining out. I don't want to deal with yeah. this. So I thought about taking them down, but that was, that was, that was what happened. I love that. And I would never even think of that. And that was so simple for you. Just basically you're putting yourself out there. Right. And it felt, felt very safe. It just felt safe for me because that's who I am naturally. I'm not, you know, I'm the, I'm the twin kid of a small town minister from South Carolina. And I, I just, I think for that reason, I'm not a very, I'm not a very private person. I'm, I'm very much like a, Hey guys, what's up? Here's me. This is what's, this is what I'm about. I, I've never really felt a need, you know, cause you're the preacher's kid in a small town. So everybody knows you. Oh, I was like, where are we going with this? Oh, now sorry, I get sorry. It, I get Being it. the preacher's kid in a small town, maybe especially in the South or anywhere, really yeah, everybody yeah. knows you. Cause everybody knows your family. Cause your dad is a figure in the community. Cause he's, he's the preacher. Yeah, I got it. One of the men, one of the ministers, we had plenty of churches, but everybody knows you. Everybody's watching you. And as a twin, I always shared, I always shared a bedroom, you know, my brother and I were always together. So I was not, wasn't used to growing. I would just never grew up with any privacy. We lived in a small gotcha. house, you know, there are five of us in a small house. Like I never had any privacy. And so those kinds of things helped me put myself out there. Like you said, cause I'm not really expecting, yeah. um, not expecting extra attention. I'm just not expecting uh, much privacy. You know, I didn't even think of that Hunter. That would be such a great podcast. Just what it's like being a preacher's son 
Like that to me is a whole nother story because you, you hear about it all the time. And I just, I know you had a great experience, but still in all, it's totally different. Like, I feel like there would be these expectations to be a certain way. There is. And the, the, well, the cliche is that the PKs, the preacher's kids are always the hellions. They're always the bad kids because they're rebelling against yeah. that, that, that perception, that, that uh, assumption about their family. Um, and I wasn't really, we weren't necessarily really good kids. We weren't really bad kids, but yeah, I love it when I meet, I do meet, um, PKs out in the wild, other, yeah, meet other yeah. people are preacher's kids. And then we automatically have that bond Yeah, and go off yeah. in the corner and chat. So neither you or your brother were hellions. Walker. We did. So <laughs> we were, we were bad. We, you know, we did our fair share of underage drinking and we tried cow tipping every now and then cow tipping never works by the way don't try it the, the cows <laughs> always wake up and then sometimes they chase you but we we tried we yeah we were again it was a small town in south carolina so we we got we did a, we did some things but yeah we yeah. weren't um we weren't like yeah. you know beating up on other kids or anything yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. you were normal yeah. you were normal boys <laughs> we were normal boys yeah all right so of all the things that I have listed here, I want to ask you, and we're not going to get to all of them. The one thing I still would like a little bit more clarity, and you did touch on it, is complex challenges versus complicated. Can we just go into that just a little bit more and what that has to do with having a trusting team? Yes, let's. that's great. Thank you. So the those are common words complicated and complex in the world of systems thinking which is where my background is in process redesign and you know managing using metrics and all that stuff i mentioned before in my healthcare work before i started training and coaching and consulting the um the specific definitions of complicated are, and complex are really important if something is complicated it could be, it could require a lot of expertise. It could be a really hard question to answer or a hard, uh, hard challenge to meet or a hard opportunity to mm -hmm. figure out, but you can figure it out. It's, it's, uh, it's predictable. You can figure it out in the room. So the example I like to use, and I use this, I use a vid video clip for this in my course is the, I think everybody's seen the film hidden figures. Oh yeah. And it's, it's about the three African-American women um, that were pivotal in the space program and the kind of the, their job getting their work, their struggle, getting respect for their expertise yeah, yeah. in the workplace. And one of them is Katherine Johnson. And she, there's a scene where she is in a room with, um, with, you know, all, all, all white guys, dark suits, white shirts, black ties, short haircuts, <laughs> all yeah. the white guys, like 20 white guys looking the same and her standing in the back um, with, with her boss who brought her in. Cause she's a genius mathematician. And so there was not, there was not a lot of trust of her in that room. They did not trust her, um, but she had the expertise they needed. And it was a complicated challenge because the challenge was to figure out how to get the rocket um, in the, the space program in the sixties, how to get the rocket to leave the leave the earth's orbit for the first time and land back on earth without killing the astronaut. <laughs> So there's three, and there's three ways. There's That's a three good ways. thing. Yeah, you want to keep the astronaut alive. That's, you know, you don't want to send the, you don't want to, you can't send the right, you can't just say, okay, we're just going to try and see what happens. You can't take that, <laughs> that leap of faith, like we were talking about where the situation is complex and you, you can't figure it out in the room, like, no. like, uh, like raising a kid. That's, that's the example of complexity. Back to complicated launching a rocket. There's three ways you could have had a squished astronaut or a dead astronaut. One is if they 
the rocket went up at a uh, an angle that would have had the rocket re-enter the atmosphere to perpendicularly. So if if the if the angle wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't right, then the rocket would have hit had a straight dead end collision with the Earth's atmosphere, with that outer edge of the Earth's atmosphere, and burned up the Earth's atmosphere where 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 air turns into outer space. Yeah, yeah. That, that moment would have burned up the astronauts. So can't dead there. So yeah. dead astronauts. So the angle has to be right. Number two was you could have a, a smashed astronaut if if he land if the rocket uh, landed on hard land. It had to land in the ocean. Gotcha. So, it to, so it had to land in the ocean, right angle in the ocean. And then it had to land. The other way you could get a dead astronaut is if he drowned. You had to, it had to land in the ocean in a certain point close enough where the U.S. Navy rescue vehicles mm. could could fish him out of the water before the thing sinks. Because it's a big chunk of metal and mm. computers and stuff. So she had to. So the math had to be exactly right. It was complicated. You know, again, very crazy yeah, expertise yeah, yeah. required. I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. So complicated doesn't mean easy. It just means that you that you can, or in this case, have to figure it out in the room before you go. And so all the trust that Katherine Johnson and her boss needed people to have for her, they just needed them to have enough trust in her expertise that her math was correct. That she had figured out the solution. Gotcha. Gotcha. They didn't have to like hang out with her outside of the room. They didn't have to go on this big learning journey together. They didn't have to be innovative, um, except in the context of the map in the room. So she did it. You know, the the strings swell in the movie and the soundtrack. Like that's the victory. Yeah. It's a gorgeous yeah. scene. Yeah. Everybody should everybody should just go should go find that search for that that clip on YouTube. It's very inspiring. So that's complicated. Again, you have to you can or you have to figure it out in the room. Complex is like raising a child where you just have to get going with the team you have. So for me and my, for me and my team, if I'm, if I'm starting, for example, with this course, when I started the course, I've got my web guy, I've got my admin who helps me with the zoom hosting and the breakouts and all this stuff. I've got a copywriter. I've got myself. Um, I have a friend who's consulting with me. She's giving me opinions on the course curriculum and the course design. And so there's a whole team of us. We don't know how the course is going to work until we do it. We have to get started. So anytime something is new or innovative, um, or there, there's no, when there's no simple solution, you have to, again, take that leap of faith and that's complex work. Again, you can't figure it out in the room. You just have to get going to figure it out. And therefore, because you're on that journey together, that's where trust is important. You have to have trust in complexity or else it's going to fall apart because people don't respect each other's opinions or people are competing for status or power. Then it doesn't, then, then that's, what's complex. Thank you for sharing those stories. I've heard them before, but this time I really got it. And I love, you know, I can see her doing that in the movie. And you're right. You know, she was just on her own. We weren't sitting there trying to help her do it, which is right. Right. And I do love the example too, as complex as raising a kid. I mean, that's the classic. Yeah. What could be more complex? Yeah. All right. I want to get this in here because I think this is something everybody wants. And hopefully they, by now they realize your course would really help them get this, build your dream team. Everybody wants a dream team. I think how we go about it is totally different. And, you know, I love the way that your big thing is trust because I've had amazing mentors, amazing. And some of them, I really feel like the foundation were trust. But others, 
and I love them. It was more like intimidation. Mm -hmm. Do do you know what I mean? Like you were scared of them. Right. And that works. That can work in the short term. That doesn't work in the long term. That doesn't work in the long term to keep the team together, to keep people loyal to you and to keep people in place doing good work. You can pressure and threaten people and, 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 you know, and get them to work harder because they're afraid of you or they're afraid of Mm -hmm. losing their job or losing an important project, but that doesn't work long-term. And it's certainly no kind of team that I or you or any of your listeners want to be part of. You want to be able to be, again, be your full self at work. You want to be able to relax enough to come up with new ideas, to be innovative. You want to feel safe at work um, just because you want to keep your energy and you want to, you want to be happy at work. We spend so much of our time at work with our work teams that we don't want to have to struggle and compete and, and feel intimidated. Mm. So as far as building your dream team, I still in my head hear people saying all the time, and it just drives me crazy. You have to rule by the authority. You know, you can't trust people. Employees will screw you over whenever you get a chance and you start trusting them. I, you know, not everybody, but I hear this throughout, you know, Sandy, you trust people too much. You start trusting them. They're going to take advantage and you know, it's just one vicious circle of all the negativity built around. That's how you're going to get ahead. And how do we break that cycle? It's by taking the risk and, and trusting people and being trustworthy. We, we, so a few things, one modeling, modeling the behavior we want to see. So if I am the boss of a team and see people gossiping negatively about each other behind their backs mm. or coming to me complaining about somebody because um, they are trying to make that person look bad because they want status with me. Anytime I see those negative behaviors that undermine trust, I make it my job to address those. Mm. So I see, you know, it's important to me that we, we really need to have trust in this team or our work's not going to get done in, in the best way. We're not going to come up with cool new ideas. We're not going to succeed. Um, And I just don't want to be on a team with no trust. So you just, you call that out. You talk about trust is one thing. And again, you, when you observe behaviors, somebody rolls their eyes at what somebody else says in a meeting, you talk to people, you talk to them one-on-one. You don't call people out in a meeting because that also undermines trust, but you say, Hey, you're rolling your eyes in a meeting. If you had something to say about her idea, I would have loved, I want, you know, what I want is for you to say that in a respectful way in the meeting. Or if you can't just stay quiet, but rolling the eyes, that's disrespectful. That undermines stress. That makes our meeting and our team not a safe place. So you look for those. It's once you start thinking about being a person whose job it is to help build trust. Again, we can't make people trust us, but we want to build the conditions for trust in our team. Once you accept that as something that's part of your job, then you see those opportunities everywhere. You, uh, you, you, you've been seeing yeah, them, but yeah, you've, yeah, you've been, yeah. you've been ignoring them because you're busy. So you just, so that's one, you model the thing. And then you call out, you talk to people when you see things that aren't, that aren't going to increase trust in the team. I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, Hunter, I was thinking about how you said that doesn't work in the long term, And you know, my, my entire life, I've owned health clubs for over 30 years. And we had not that we didn't have turnover, but very little turnover. And I'm thinking a big part of that is because there was so much trust amongst us. You know, I wasn't actually thinking of this. I never had a course, you know, and I wish I would have, but they, they must have really felt good about where they are, especially in the health club industry, because, you know, it's not the high lot of turnover, high turnover. Yeah. yeah. And people stayed with us for years. A lot of people, you know, because they know we valued them. 
Right. So yeah, you can feel it, right? If you, yeah. if your colleague trusts you and you trust them, or if your boss trusts you, then you can feel it. And yeah, exactly. You become loyal. Trust, trust can turn into love. We don't, you talk about love, which is great. A lot of people don't talk about love in the context of work, but there is a love there yeah. that you do have for your team or for your boss. Um, you know, work appropriate, <laughs> work appropriate yeah. brands of love. Um, but, but, but yeah, that, love that you, is, man. but that's real. But that, like you said, that's why people decide to stay somewhere. Yeah. instead of going to the equivalent jobs somewhere else. Yeah. Hunter, thank you so much for being on Let's Keep It Real. We have to wrap it up. I really enjoyed this. I am so happy and proud of what you're putting out in the world. I think this is so needed, especially now. This environment, when things are changing all over, people switching jobs. I mean, this is so needed in every company. So thank you for doing this. And thank you for taking the risk and facing some fears to put together a keynote about this. It's going to kick butt. And I can't think of anyone, no matter who they are, that wouldn't benefit from it. So good for you. And you have a lot more stories to share and they're hysterical, some of them. But before we go, how can they find you? And I know, I think you have a course coming up also in the fall. Yes, thank you for all that you said. That means a lot coming from coming from you, Sandy, as a as a friend and as a bit of a mentor. You've you've you don't know this maybe, or you maybe not don't accept this, but but you've been you've been a you're a leader um, for me to look up to. So I really appreciate oh, it. And thank I you. Really admire, really appreciate our friendship. So people can follow me on LinkedIn. They can sign up for my email list. Uh, all blogs come with doodles. <laughs> um, and my website, uh, my website is signal key, signal key.com signal, like a traffic signal key, like a door key, okay. um, signal key.com. And then yes, the next, uh, the next public course for six culture builders starts on September 13th. So people have time to, um, you know, get in touch, stay connected, um, learn more, learn and make that connection between now and then. Um, and I'm also, I'm starting, I didn't tell you this, Sandy, but I'm starting a second course in the fall with a colleague, Rebecca Bromberg, called Human Being Leader. Ooh. And it's about, it's about some of the culture builders and really focused on the personal. She, mm. Rebecca teaches mindfulness at work. And so together we are doing mindfulness plus leadership um, and personal presence in relationships. So that's another course. Doesn't have a launch date yet, but that's another option we're doing. All right. So tell us as far as social media, how can they find you on social media? LinkedIn. Is, yeah. LinkedIn. They just Google my name, Hunter Gatewood. Um, LinkedIn. Okay. They can so find it's me just there under Hunter me. Gatewood. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's thank you. That's where they find me. I'm on Twitter, but it's more personal, um, more personal stuff. Uh, just it's, okay. it's not that interesting. It's kind of, yeah. it's more silly than professional, but I am on, I am on Twitter if people want to want to connect there as well. And do they sign up on for the course on your website or on LinkedIn or both? Yes, they can. If they get on my email list, then they'll get the link to sign up for the course. I haven't launched that yet, uh, okay. but the link doesn't exist yet, but the course will be starting in September. And if people get on my email list, that's the way to find out about the course once it starts. Okay. So tell us again, your website. I just want to make sure they got it. Yeah. It's signalkey.com. And spell, just spell it. Yeah. S-I-G-N-A-L. Okay. K-E-Y.com. All right, got it. All right, Hunter, go forth, conquer. Let's keep it real, people.
I know you're going to want to share this, rate it, like it, subscribe. Hunter and I really appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.